Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. All right. Are y'all ready? Oh, y'all. I know it's chapel. I know it is. I remember the days where I didn't go to chapel. Thank you all for being here. Thank you, uh, Dr. Ashford, for uh, the kind introduction and the reference to Dr. Heath Thomas, who is the best looking and the most hair of the Thomas family. And uh, if you don't know Dr. Heath Thomas, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, thank you for Dr. Aiken for allowing uh, me and the invitation to uh, share with you at chapel. Uh, go ahead and get a head start. Second Corinthians chapter two, verses 14, 15, and 16. Only three verses because they only gave me 35 minutes. Uh, uh, Scott, what a great, great testimony. Rodolfo, thank you so much. Obrigado. Ah, oh, yes, I got it right. Was that close? Uh, it's, it's close. That, yeah, he said it's close. It's not great, but that was close. Um, well, uh, let me ask you a couple of questions. We, uh, I know it's chapel and it's hard to get engaged uh, uh, sometimes with the speaker. Let me uh, kind of get us started. This is not rhetorical. I want you to respond. The purpose of a stop sign is? Yes, all right, great, great, great. The purpose of a dishwasher is? Man, y'all are great. Y'all are right on target. Uh, the purpose of a telephone? Ah, it's got a little bit challenging because telephones today are not like the telephones that I had uh, when I was growing up. The telephone I had when I was growing up is the uh, thing that hung on a wall or sat on a desk. You had to pick it up. You had to dial. And when you dialed, it was a rotary. It was a... And it was simple. The purpose of a telephone then was to give and receive phone calls from other people who had telephones. Uh, today, telephones are used in a wide variety of ways. Many don't even have telephones hanging on their wall or sitting on a desk. Uh, they use their phones to uh, take and receive phone calls. Certainly, some of you still do that, I'm sure. Uh, you give and receive texts. You look on the internet. You take pictures. Uh, you watch videos. You uh, stream Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or whatever. Uh, you play on Instagram and you tweet. And these are just some of the things that you can do with a telephone these days. Uh, the purpose used to be very straightforward, give and receive phone calls. Uh, today, it seems like there are a lot of purposes wrapped around a telephone. Uh, I think that's the way it is for us in ministry sometimes. I know it's that way for me as, as a pastor. I've been at First Baptist Norfolk for 15 years. And before that, I was at First Baptist Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Before that, I was uh, at uh, a church in Fort Worth, Travis Avenue Baptist Church. Uh, and the, it, the, the, the role of the minister, although it's remained the same, it feels sometimes like it is... Uh, 
a wide range of responsibilities, purposes, rather than just a singular purpose. And, and I get that. The pastor today is uh, to be an expert communicator, is supposed to be an expert uh, administrator, an expert leader. Uh, and it's not just the role of the pastor, but anyone else in leadership within the church, anyone else involved in ministry, there seems to be this aspect of a multitude of different purposes that that can uh, impinge on us. And, and sometimes we get confused, not only because of all the different things that we have on our job description, but also all the expectations that are placed upon us. If you haven't figured this out yet, uh, in ministry, every person under uh, or within the ministry uh, you serve uh, has an expectation about you. Uh, and sometimes that expectation is realistic. Many times it is unrealistic. Sometimes it's part of your job description. Many times it's not part of your job description. And in the face of such um, competing expectations, responsibilities on a, on a job list and your own personal inclination about ministry, it can get confusing what your purpose may be. But today, I pray that we go back to the simplicity of purpose that we find in God's word, a purpose that provides a plumb line for us as we serve the, the people of God and expand uh, the kingdom of God through sharing the gospel with others. I pray that today you and I might be captured again uh, by the simplicity of the purpose that we hear from the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul was living with expectations. He was living with expectations that uh, the church at Corinth had placed on him. Uh, Paul and the church at Corinth had a kind of a rocky relationship, to say the least. They began really well, and, and you read some of the wonderful things happening there in 1 Corinthians, but almost immediately in 1 Corinthians, even chapter 3, you see that the church is experiencing some conflict. And that conflict is built upon um, who's following who and, and who gets the credit and and who who's really in charge and and by the way that doesn't disappear over time it is still relevant today in churches in which we serve and ministries in which we serve that that uh, that competition and 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 that uh, uh, that confusion about why we're here I think it goes back to purpose well, Paul had uh, this uh, uh, first letter where he tries to help the church straighten out a little bit, and he gives them some great counsel about how to be the church and, and how to be the body of Christ. And, and, and then uh, they get into some more conflict, and, and it revolves around a lot of different things. Don't have time to talk about that because the clock is ticking on these screens up in front of me. Um, but needless to say, by the time Paul writes the second letter that we have, um, uh, things are really in disarray in Paul's relationship with the church at Corinth. A lot of it was because of their expectations of him. In the beginning of chapter 2, Paul begins to try to explain, especially in verses 12 and 13, he's trying to explain to them why they wanted him 
uh, he had told them he's going to come back and visit them on a journey, and, and he doesn't do that. He, he changes his travel pan, plans, and they're upset. It's like if you're a pastor and, and you say to uh, Sue, uh, Sue, who's going in for surgery, you say, Sue, I'll be there at the beginning, and I'll pray with you before you go into surgery, but your child breaks, its, breaks his or her arm, and so you have to spend time with your child. Sue gets upset with you because you didn't do what you said you were going to do. The expectation that she had was that you would keep your word. You had a good reason why you didn't go there, but still the conflict remains. That's kind of what was happening between Paul and the church at Corinth. Well, when it's all said and done, what Paul does is he brings us to the heart, I believe, the heart of his second letter that we have to Corinth. And, and the heart of the letter, I believe, is this passage that we're going to look at today. Let's read it and, and, and read along with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 14, 15, and 16. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life and who is sufficient or capable for these things. Now, how does this provide the plumb line of purpose for Paul? You see, what Paul does is he lays out, he says, I know that you're upset that I didn't come through uh, Corinth when I said I was. I, I went through Tro Troas and through Macedonia, but I didn't come back through Corinth like I said I was. And I know you're upset with that. And they were accusing him and criticizing him, saying he's a wishy-washy kind of leader. He's not very good. He's not true to his word. He's unfaithful. And they were saying all these things about Paul. And, and, and by the way, just let me share with you, if you haven't experienced it yet, um, criticism is going to come. Uh, when you when you are faithful in following after Jesus and, 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 and pursuing the purpose that God has for you, uh, that he has spelled out, that he provides for your heart and soul, as you pursue that purpose, criticism will come. And it does not matter your good intentions. Uh, what matters is that there are people that just don't like how you're doing what you're doing. And it's in those moments that you need to have, as my daddy used to say, you need to be solid in your gut. You need to be solid in your conviction. You need to have a plumb line that directs your steps. And for Paul, what he spells out in 14, 15, and 16 really is that plumb line for his purpose. This is the foundation, the motivation, the ambition, the direction for his life and for his ministry. And it provides for us that same kind of clarity that we need as we pursue the purpose that God has given us. Ultimately, what he says, as, as we dig down deep, he says, now thanks be to God who always leads us into triumph. Your translation may uh, read uh, that who always leads us in a triumphal procession. And I think that's right. I think, I think the, the Greek word there is pointing us to a, a Roman parade where a general has gone off to a foreign land and conquered that land. And now he comes back in this wonderful procession with all those uh, who uh, have been set free from, 
from uh, the, the, the captivity in which they were living and, 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 and even those who, who are following after the general through the streets in Rome, people throwing rose petals and cheering, way to go, this wonderful parade that's gonna happen like for the Philadelphia Eagles after they win the Super Bowl. That's just because I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan and I just can't cheer for the New England Patriots. But time is going, so we won't go dwell on that too much. But anyway, um, as, as Paul is writing, he says this triumphal procession is really the, the, the metaphor that, that he wants to use to describe his purpose. We bring it into language that, that becomes clearer for us. It's simply Paul declares, I have been captured by God's grace and I have been captured for God's glory. I've been captured by God's grace and I have been captured for his glory. He also gives us uh, another aspect of this plumb line. He says, uh, thanks be to God who always leads us into triumph. And here's the phrase, in Christ. Now, listen, the pool, that powerful, life-shaping, heart-changing, death-defying pool of purpose is Jesus Christ himself. It is our connection with him. When we are immersed in Christ, he provides the foundation and the ambition and the motivation and the direction for everything that we do. So as we're looking at this passage, let's remember first and foremost that we are in Christ. We are immersed in him. He is our general. He is our king. He is our sovereign. He is our savior. He's the one who is leading us. He is the one who is directing us and we must be yielded to him. Regardless of what anyone else has to say about it, we must be yielded to him. We must be immersed in Christ. And that, that sets the foundation for us as we move forward in serving God's glory and pursuing the purpose that God has for us. In Christ, immersed in Christ, Paul says, I've been captured and now I'm walking along this parade of grace for the gospel's sake. And, and Paul's going on and, and, and as we look at this parade, uh, this, this parade that becomes a platform for him sharing the gospel everywhere in every place, uh, let's kind of dig deep into our own life and see how that applies to us. Let's begin with this idea of being captured by God's grace. If we want to know what our purpose is, I think for each of us who are followers of Christ, if indeed we are followers of Christ, we understand innately, it's part of our DNA, it's part of our code, that, that we live for the, uh, for the praise and the gratitude of the God who has captured us by his grace. We live in praise and gratitude to God. Paul says, Thanks be to God. He begins with that gratitude. But then he goes on in verse 15, he says, and, 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 and we're the aroma or the fragrance to God. Uh, this, this aroma of life and death. But we're the aroma, the fragrance to God. Now, as we look at that, what is he, what is he really pointing us toward there? Well, you remember the the time in your life before you met Jesus, don't you? 
Do you remember how your life was before you came to know Christ? That life of despair and dungeon living and death, uh, death uh, walking and death marching. It's the kind of picture that we have in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2. And, and Paul writes, he says, uh, but you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air who now works among the sons of disobedience, among whom you also once conducted yourselves in the lust of the mind and of the flesh. Um, just, and you were children of wrath just as the others. But God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses has made us alive together in Christ Jesus by grace you have been saved. Here is that spark of gratitude and praise that begins to rise up in us when we remember the way we were. We were walking in this chain gang of sin following after whether we knew it or not following after the prince of the power of the air who now works among the sons of disobedience we were head down heart empty soul dark life lost that's who we were but God the God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, he's made us alive together in Christ Jesus. And it's by his grace we've been saved. We have been captured by God's grace, released from the chain gang of sin and set on this parade of his grace for the gospel's sake. So much so that Paul would declare in, in Ephesians chapter 1 as he begins his letter to the believers in Ephesus, Ephesians 1 verse 3 he says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who um, has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love in love having predestined us to adoption as sons uh, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace we are here living, breathing testimonies to God's great grace and our life must reflect it in what we do, where we go, what we say, how we live. We must be this ambassador of gratitude to God and living our life as a fragrance to God. A fragrance to God, a fragrant, a sweet smelling aroma is how Paul describes Jesus in Ephesians 4.32. He says, he says that Jesus gave his life a sweet-smelling aroma and sacrifice to God. Now, Paul, I think, attaches himself to that model that Jesus has laid. It's that, that, that idea that I am a living worshiper of God. And everything that I do must bring a sweet-smelling fragrance to the throne of grace that he might be pleased with me. I love the idea of bringing pleasure to God, don't you? I, I, don't you? I mean, if you don't, then can I humbly suggest that maybe you're not a follower of Christ? 
It is the sons and daughters of God that want to please God. And, 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 and if we don't have a desire, a yearning in our heart to bring pleasure to God, then maybe, just maybe, you're not a follower of Jesus. But, but because that is part of our DNA and because we yearn and long to please God, our life is going to be a praise to him. It's going to be gratitude every morning that we wake up in the middle of, 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 of a seminar, in the middle of a class, uh, learning about Plato or Plato. It doesn't matter. We're, did y'all get that? That was for you, Dr. Astrid. That was pretty good. Okay. Regardless of, 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 the, uh, of the lessons we're in, regardless of the path we're walking, regardless of the, the, the heights of the summit or the depths of the valley, we live grateful to God because what I once was is not what I am today. I was dead, but now I live. I've been set free. I'm captured by God's grace. That's your purpose today, every day. It's our purpose to live in gratitude and praise to the God who has captured us by his grace. The second aspect of this parade of grace upon which Paul was embarked, this parade of grace following after Jesus the King, where he was captured by God's grace, but then he, he points out that he's captured for God's glory. Um, I... I Dr. Ashford gave a little bit of a bio. Uh, there are three brothers that I have. There were four sons in my home. Uh, my older brother and I are 16 months apart. And then comes Brandon, uh, who was about 20 some odd months after me. And then comes Heath, and he was a couple of years after me, several years after me. And, and so there are four of us. And, and my older brother and I, Brett, uh, Brett is an attorney. Uh, my brother Brandon is a pastor. My uh, youngest brother Heath is, is uh, in the ministry. My dad in the ministry. And my older brother Brett is an attorney. He's probably the godliest of us all, but you wouldn't know it by his vocation. Anyway, I, that's a joke. That's a joke. I'm thankful that God has rescued him just as he's rescued me. But Brett and I grew up together. 16 months apart, much like twins and and uh and and so we shared pretty much everything we shared uh a room in our very young years we shared the same bed we shared clothes we shared toys we shared a television we shared pretty much everything which was great when things were going well but when things got rocky uh the sharing business got a little bit shaky you know how it goes um we have G.I. Joes. Uh, not, not the little G.I. Joes that some of y'all are aware of, these little wimpy G.I. Joes. When I was a kid, we had the big G.I. Joes. And they had fuzz on their hair. We had an eagle-eyed G.I. Joe and a karate-chop G.I. Joe. And, but in our house, we only had one G.I. Joe. And so we played with the G.I. Joe. And, and, and so Brett and I would be playing our war games there in, in our room. And, and I would want the G.I. Joe, and then he would want the G.I. Joe, but then I would want the G.I. Joe, and then he would want the G.I. Joe, and, and pretty soon it gets this, my turn, it's my turn. Mama, Brett's taking my turn. It's that my turn mentality that really can shake us in pursuing God's purpose. 
I, I, I know that you and I realize the value of selflessness, but sometimes it gets uh, lost in our pursuit of our own desires. Uh, we know the value of humility, but for Paul, it was a lifestyle. I, I won't spend a lot of energy and time going through the different ways Paul displayed his own um, rejection of the my turn mentality. But just a couple, it, in, in four of his letters um, that he wrote in the New Testament, Paul either described himself as a doulos, a bond slave, or a desmias, a prisoner. Now, that's not the way you make friends and influence enemies. That's not how you leverage your influence among people. That was one of the things that threw the church at Corinth off. They were used to people bragging. E even with the humble brags that we often do, these subverted brags where we kind of slide in all the things, how great we are in a, in a backhanded kind of way, Paul wouldn't have any of that, even though in this letter he accused himself of boasting. Um, Paul described himself as a slave and as a prisoner. That's, that's rejecting this my turn mentality. In Philippians chapter 2, you hear Paul say, hey, listen, if you are part of the body of Christ, if, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, then have the same kind of attitude that I have. He goes on and he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others more important than himself. My goodness, how our denominational meetings would be different if we got rid of the my turn mentality. Oh my soul, what would happen to our churches if we rejected the my turn mentality? My goodness, how my life would be different as a pastor if I absolutely stiff-armed that my turn mentality. I know in my own personal life that selfishness has created all kinds of pain and all kinds of, of heartache and all kinds of chaos in my family and in my church. And I do believe that if we were to sum up the biggest problems, especially in established churches like mine, the biggest problem in churches like mine is not the sin of culture. It's not Hollywood scene. It's not what they say on the Grammys. It's not the hashtag from the uh, uh, political pundits. The biggest problem we have is the me turn, my turn mentality, selfishness. We want what we want, and it doesn't matter what you want. Well, what Paul begins to do in this passage is he's talking about this parade of God's grace for the gospel's sake. He says, not only am I living to praise and thank the God who has captured me by his grace, but then he points us and he says, now here's how we're supposed to live. We are supposed to live selflessly and sacrificially for the God who has captured us 
for his glory. See, I do believe that when we begin to understand, Paul saw himself as a slave to God, a prisoner of Christ. He saw himself as one who was given over uh, to do whatever God wanted him to do. Paul realized that he lived not for his glory, but for God's glory. Oh, what a difference our lives will make when we stop trying to get a little bit more platform for ourselves and we give all the platform to God and his glory and his honor and his fame. It can be a subtle thing for us. I saw this week that there are actually preacher types who are buying Twitter followers. What? That is absolutely insane. That's someone who's holding on to the my turn mentality. I want recognition. I want honor. I want fame. Friends, there is no way we can serve the living God trying to get our fame and still serve for his glory. It won't work. As you and I look to the purpose that God has given us, We need to understand that we are prisoners of the Lord Jesus Christ and we give ourselves for his glory. Paul said it this way just a few chapters later in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Look there. It's just one page over, I'm sure. Unless you have the extra large print. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. I love chapter 5, but 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, Paul said, so so, uh, we judge thusly. If one died for all, then all have died. And he, being Jesus, died for all. So that those who live, that's those of us who've been captured by his grace. So those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Guys, listen, here's your purpose. This is my ambition to live for him who died for me, not live for me and give honorable mention to the one who died for me. My my ambition, your ambition, the DNA of who you are as a follower of Christ and a called minister of the gospel. Listen, make no mistake, who you are demands that you live solely for him who died for you and rose again. We give ourselves for his glory. Our greatest ambition is not to be recognized by peers or pastors. Our greatest ambition is to give glory to the one who has given us life. And if we're not doing that, we need to get out of this business. If we have some other ambition, we need to have a reorientation. And please know God's given me plenty of those reorientations in my life. And still does and will continue to because, like it or not, that my turn mentality sometimes creeps up even when we don't want it to. Today, my prayer for us is that we would live our lives completely sold out to God for his glory. How do we do that? Well, again, time's gone, but let me just kind of lay it out there. 
Paul said, I'm in this parade of God's grace for the gospel's sake. And what he meant by that is he was the aroma of life and death in every place that he traveled. Everywhere he went, he lived to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the the hope for the lost. He wanted to help those who were chained in their sin to be set free. If you and I are going to live for God's honor and fame, if we're going to live a life of sold out gratitude and praise to the one who has captured us by his grace, then we must walk across the street and share the good news of Jesus with our neighbors. We need to go across the hallway and share the good news of Jesus with our coworkers. We need to go and, and, and not just go here in Wake County, but also go throughout the lower 48 and up into North America and South America and over into uh, the Alaska and Hawaii and Russia and Portugal and, and Brazil and, and, and wherever God takes us, we must have this intentional mentality. I'm going to help people see that there is life and there is death. And life can be found only through faith in Jesus Christ. And death is the result of all who reject him. Guys, we, we need to share Jesus with others. Um, as Paul, um, as Paul uh, wrote to Timothy in the second letter that he wrote to Timothy, he, he wanted to lay out kind of a summary statement. And I know you've heard this, but let me go ahead and remind us of it because it's a great reminder for me as well in second timothy chapter four one through five certainly but let me just key in and lean into verse five right quick he's paul's just said to timothy there are people going to go crazy following after all kinds of crazy doctrines verse five but as for you but as for you but as for me Be watchful in all things. Endure affliction. Do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. My prayer is that we would live by God's purpose in praise and gratitude to the one who's captured us by his grace, that we would live sold out to the one who has captured us for his glory, that we would share the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone we encounter, everywhere we go, that we would keep our head, be watchful in all things, that we would endure even the testing times of difficulty, that we would do the work of evangelism, that we would fulfill our ministry. Let's pray together. Oh, God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it. Now shape our hearts and adjust our lives to fit what your spirit has spoken to us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, We hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. 
You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.